Today on Government Matters, the biggest number ever for government spending on information technology, more than $92 billion. Today, an inside look at where it will go and where it won't. The data deluge explodes. New tools available now for every agency to manage data better. Federal Chief Information Officer Suzette Kent reviews them. And the security clearance backlog hits what its leader calls a steady state. The chief of that effort tells you how his team did it. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. First up, work on the Defense Department's huge JEDI contract is on hold this morning. A federal judge ruled Thursday that work Microsoft was supposed to start Friday couldn't happen. Billy Mitchell is editor-in-chief at FedScoop. He's following this breaking story. Billy, welcome. Thanks for joining me this morning. What do we know about what the judge said Thursday and what comes next? So the judge uh, ruled Thursday that, uh, as you said, Microsoft and DOD were supposed to start work Friday, but they, the judge uh, agreed with Amazon's case that uh, it would cause irreparable harm if they moved forward. Um, and it's a big win for Amazon because that sort of momentum would really, really uh, make it uh, hard if, if it wins this case uh, to, to move forward. Um, things would get messy. And so now uh, it, it looks like we're going to have to wait to see how this bid protest sorts out. And then uh, if, if Microsoft does win at the end, they'll continue work then. And if Amazon does, uh, then we'll kind of have to sort things out again. It makes sense that this is a win for Amazon, but it's a temporary win, isn't it, sure. Billy? It's not saying Microsoft doesn't get this and the department has to do it over again. It's just you have to stop for now until the case can be sorted out further. Am I reading that right? Am yeah, reading your report yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's not a win for Amazon completely. Completely, but it, it does stop Microsoft from being able to do any work, uh, which, you know, if the momentum, it, it would start a big course of momentum if they were able to start at that point. Um, that uh, wouldn't really look good for Amazon um, if, if it were to win. Um, it saves taxpayers money if uh, Amazon does win at the end of this. So uh, at this point, no work under JEDI, which is, is a big problem for the DOD. Both Microsoft and DOD said they were disappointed in this, this ruling because they're really, really anxious to get things going. Um, it, it, they think it's a critical need that they need uh, yesterday. Uh, they have a host of different DOD officials who have kind of gone on the record saying that we really need this, this is critical to national security. Uh, but at this point, it looks like things are going to be held off, at least for the foreseeable future, um, and then uh, reevaluated once the court actually decides on the totality of this bid protest. What do we know about the timeline, Billy, and what would you watch as this moves forward? So I think uh, th this may slow things down because uh, it, it looks like it, 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 if you kind of read between the lines, it, it at least to me, it seems like maybe Amazon does actually have a case here if the, the judge is uh, ruling in its favor on this, uh, this uh, pause. Um, so I'm going to watch to see what the next steps are, what, what comes out in the administrative record. Um, just this week, Microsoft and DOD, well, DOD filed a couple different documents that uh, it's trying to throw out part of Amazon's protest where the, it connects the president to everything to say that President Trump had influence. Um, and, and more recently, Amazon also filed a document where it says it wants to depose the president, the secretary of defense, and former secretary of defense, Jim Mattis. So those are some big, uh, big moves. Um, I, I think they're, they're a little salacious, and I don't know necessarily that that will happen, but it, it looks like there's a bunch of big shots being fired at this point in the protest. Billy Mitchell of FedScoop will continue to call on you to help us understand what's going on here. Thanks very much. Thanks.
President's fiscal year 2021 budget request includes the biggest top line ever for information technology. One highlights $150 million for the Technology Modernization Fund. Suzette Kent is the Chief Information Officer of the United States. Suzette, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program this morning. Thanks for having me, What's Francis. the big takeaway that we should take from what the administration's asking for for IT for 2021? The big takeaway, um, it, it, it's exciting. It's continued investment. And although the top line is increasing, many of the things that we're focused on are continued consolidation of data centers, modernization of legacy applications, ongoing implementation of shared services, and very exciting things around our data strategy, continued investment in the workforce. So those are actually helping us deliver on mission and improve services, but they will also generate long-term savings. So. Um, Continued investment, uh, we actually see in the budgets of the individual agencies, many of the initiatives moving from concept to implementation. And I think that's a really exciting thing that people should take away from the budget. You know, some people don't look at the details in each of the agencies, but you actually see the, the, the plans for the work being done, um, and those are represented in the 21 budget. So. We're very excited. Included in that overall top line is continued focus on um, efforts in cybersecurity as well, so that, that stays a top priority. What, what do you want agencies and what do you want the Hill to look at specifically agency by agency? You said folks don't maybe drill down that far. What would you like them to drill into, yeah. Suzette? So we had some key themes in the president's management agenda, and those have remained consistent. And what you saw in previous years was the uh, the formation of strategy and um, some in some cases pilots and initial exploration and investment in new skills and workforce, movement to the cloud. What we want to see now, and, and what I hope you know your your viewers are looking at, is that those are scaling. They are moving more extensively across agencies. Um, we're moving more quickly uh, now that there you know, are not only base skills, but kind of understanding, and we're actually seeing value returned. So those are the things that we're excited about, staying focused on the same critical priorities and scaling and accelerating the delivery. You mentioned the president's management agenda. How is the budget request aligned to the three big pillars of the PMA Absolutely aligned. When you, if you, if you looked at the actual, so there's about 9,000 projects represented um, in that number. If you actually kind of categorize those, you, they align very well. Um, continued, like I said, continued investment on modernization. You see many of the data initiatives now actually formed and represented in those. And then you see the scaling of workforce investments. And we still have many things that we're talking about, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the workforce space, um, but you see those mentioned very well. You also see embedded in the data strategy, continued delivery on um, activities around TBM. You see further um, advancements in um, the, the things for low value to high value work. Um, so I, I think the alignment is spot on and we're glad to see that the agencies um, have prioritized delivery against this. One of the things that you and I have talked about before and I've talked about with your predecessors on numerous occasions is the fact that 
traditionally the government spending 80 to 85 percent of its IT money every year on legacy stuff, just sustaining what already exists. At what point, maybe it's in this budget, at what point do you expect to see that start to shift a little bit? I know it's hard to move it quickly, but at what point do you expect to see that start to shift? Um, Francis, I actually think we're starting to see some shifts. Um, I think it will be as we continue as I, to advance delivery of citizen services through digital means. Um, we continue with data center consolidations. As I said, we scale um, shared services implementations. You're actually going to start to see the draw on investment in legacy disparate applications go down and the investment in new and innovative capabilities continue forward. And one of the things that is an exciting kind of test is as we roll out digital services and enhanced capabilities, we see the pickup of those you know, across the different constituencies um, and, and you know, citizen-facing areas specifically, uh, we see those go very well. So I think that is going to continue to be an accelerator and it's going to help us with the demand. I want to dig into data, as you've mentioned several times, in more detail when we come back in a moment. More with Suzette Kent, straight ahead on Government Matters, new tools for navigating that data deluge. You'll learn more about them in a moment. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The new Data Strategy Action Plan explains how the government plans to meet all 20 of its data action items. I'm here with Suzette Kent, the Chief Information Officer of the United States. The, the Data Action Plan specifically says it's the 2020 plan. So you have 20 things that you want agencies to get done this year. What's it look like so far a month in? And what's the schedule look like for the rest of the yeah. year, Suzette? Thanks, Francis. So we're really excited um, about the 20 action items for 2020. and. For those who've looked at the data strategy and uh, take a look on strategy.data.gov, both the, the, the principal strategy and the, the action plan, um, it's a decade-long strategy. So there, there's actually a long list of things that we aspire to do, but we have to start with the right foundations. And that includes investments in people, in tools, in the um, fidelity of data across the agencies. And what you see reflected in that 2020 action plan are the things around um, governance and developing um, ethics frameworks for use of data, inventorying of both skills and kind of the state of play of data and agencies. The number one thing on the list is for agencies to prioritize what challenges they want to solve using data and that's how we tie it to mission mm -hmm. so this is this is not a um, just an academic exercise it's a way to better serve mission of the agencies and to be more um, data driven and transparent in the things that we do so those 20 action items help agencies not only build the foundation, um, they accelerate some of the priorities that were in the president's executive order for research and development. They also prioritize how we deliver um, on certain things in agencies. And so we put the action plan out right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And 
what we are already seeing is that we've had the first chief data officers council so there's been a lot of discussion about how to deliver you know on those 20 action items agencies are already starting to post their governance strategies um, you can see some of those on the connected websites and the dialogues around prioritizing data sets that are of highest interest externally and internally to agencies are going on all the time. And I'm gonna hark back to the budget discussion, but uh -huh. if you also look in the budget, you see significant initiatives in this area across multiple agencies. And it's a combination not only of the federal um, data strategy action items, but also the foundation delivery on foundations of evidence-based policy making. So we've weaved those together. Um, in a very specific plan. You mentioned the Chief Data Officers Council. That was action item number seven. Yes. You've had the first meeting. What's the structure look like for the Chief Data Officers Council that provides support uh, and, and an opportunity for collaboration among them that maybe some folks in some of the other ch uh, councils are not sure that they're seeing? Yeah. Um, well, the Chief Data Officers Council is following the structure of many of the other councils, and even in that first meeting, um, it's a bigger group. It's the first one that actually has, you know, 100, technically 124 members mm. um, represented. And the dialogue was around how the collective focuses on some of the things that um, they can solve together. There are challenges that are specific to each agency, but there are some things around making you know, information sharing for research easier, um, some of the tools discussions, uh, ways that we build skills uh, across the federal government. Those are common challenges. Mm -hmm. So that group is focused on the, the common challenges. They also have very specific things that they were tasked with um, both under the data strategy and you know with with components of foundation so they're focused on those first mm -hmm. but it was a very lively group so I expect that there's going to be great things coming from less it. than a minute left Suzette what are the primary tools that the CDOs say that they need and maybe don't have or have enough of yet to be able to do what you expect them to yeah. do well right now um, like I said, the first thing is what are the key questions that, that agencies want to answer? So, so some of them have those, some are still working you know, through those. They, we've asked them to do um, assessments of their current state. We've also asked them to put governance in place. So some, some that were kind of already on that path had mature thinking, others didn't. So there was a lot of sharing going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where some of the, the first um, investments and actually some of the first results that we're going to see are going to be in, in getting the governance structures in place and elevating the dialogue and then tackling the priority data sets uh, that we have to make available publicly. All right, I'm going to spend some time this week on strategy.data.gov. Suzette Kent, Thank thanks you. very much for coming on. Up thanks, next, Frank. getting through the security backlog. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what does steady state mean and how Charlie Phelan plans to keep it? You're watching ABC7.
Welcome back. The security clearance backlog is at a steady state. The Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency has gotten the number of pending security clearances down from about 725,000 to around 200,000. Charlie Phelan's acting director of the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency. Charlie, welcome back. It's good to have you back. Good what does you. that term mean, steady state? Steady state. Very, uh, very simply, um, in the investigations part of our business, uh, the, um, it reflects the number of on-hand investigations, on-hand cases, uh, within which we can meet our targeted uh, guidelines and, and standards for how quickly we can get clearances passed or through at a, uh, at a certain, uh, certain level, secret or top secret. It is math but it is more like a word problem we had when we were kids. Mm -hmm. uh, the variables are customer demand, uh, in particular variations in customer demand, ebb and flow. Uh, it is policy requirements and changing policy requirements. It is our investigative capacity uh, in the field in particular. It is processes and in particular improvements we've been able to make on those processes. But uh, all in all, it has been thousands of people working very, very hard over the last couple of years and we're really about 22 months from what that high mark was mm -hmm. uh, down to the level today which is hovering in the t in the 200,000 range right now. And that, that 200,000 number, the steady state sounds like yeah. is basically just the pipeline of cases that you believe it's reasonable yeah. for you to be working on right. within the parameters that you've set as acceptable from right. beginning to end. Is last, that a fair read? That's fair read. The last time we, that, that we hit this number was 2014, the summer of 2014, before things started to fall apart. Uh, and we had an inventory that ranged between 180 and 220,000 cases at any given time. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but in truth, the real math is in the timeliness of delivery. And so uh, uh, while we have greatly improved the inventory and it's, it's in that range, uh, we're still catching up a little bit on the uh, timeliness of the delivery. Mm -hmm. That's improved considerably, but it's not where we want it to be. Uh, and that really is what we are com completely focused on right now. In the time that we have, Charlie, I want to mm -hmm. talk, uh, I guess, more conceptually than mm -hmm. numbers-wise. Sure. You used the term before things started to fall apart. What happened, not to point mm -hmm. fingers at anybody, but to understand what transpired so that it doesn't happen again and what you're doing to make sure that what you've got now is sustainable? So in, in the late fall, or I'm sorry, late summer, early fall of 2014, the Office of Personal Management made a determination to not renew the contract of its major supplier, uh, the USIS for investigations. And uh, um, I think it was not, it didn't go as well as they had hoped it would. And the investigative capacity was reduced as much as 60% almost overnight. And it took a while to, re to rebuild that capacity. And so we, we, uh, the, the key to this was to both rebuild the capacity. Uh, we have uh, currently three major suppliers for investigative services in the field. Uh, all of whom have been working very, very hard to help us build that capacity and have been very, very successful. Uh, at the same time, we've, we've uh, instituted a lot of business processes uh, and put them in place to help us streamline the movement of cases back and forth. And, uh, and we have taken advantage of some of the early returns of something that we have talked about in the past, Trusted Workforce 2.0, mm -hmm. which is starting to come closer to fruition. Some of the early returns from that we were able to put in practice and that all these three together uh, but particularly that muscle push has, is what's been critical to bringing this down. On Trusted Workforce 2.0, you say it's coming closer to fruition. Where is that in the process, and what's the timeline right. look like to you, Charlie? Uh, so the uh, a major uh, milestone last week is the uh, um, uh, executive correspondence that gets us to Trusted Workforce 1.5, mm -hmm. uh, which, but. Uh, 
uh, that uh, allows us even more flexibility in how we go after information that ultimately helps us, the government, make a determination about people's behavior and, uh, and what will make a difference in whether we can trust that individual or not. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest sea change in this is going to be the introduction, both the introduction and the maturation of a continuous vetting program across the government, which will allow folks that are inside the wire that are working in these trusted positions uh, allow the government to see problems long before they occur, mm -hmm. long before they, they get to a hard state, and allow us to really address it, mitigate it, and take appropriate action, both positive and negative, early on. You anticipated where I wanted to go. We have mm -hmm. a little bit more than a minute left, Charlie, right. and that mm -hmm. is that steady state of monitoring, that, that continuous monitoring, to borrow a term from cybersecurity, right. is really nirvana for where you want to go and where the government wants to go, Ab right? Absolutely. Be able to keep track of things as they change and realize that nobody makes a snap decision to betray a trust overnight. It is something that evolves. See that evolution happening much sooner. And, and handle it either in a positive way or a negative way, depending on how, how serious it is. What's the difference? Uh, many people that, that get into positions where they might betray a trust don't do it because they're evil. They do it because they just have bad judgment. Mm. Bad judgment is easier to correct than evil. Um, in the time that we have left, yes. what is next? You mentioned you had a, a milestone just last week to get you to 1.5. What are the milestones that we should expect to see coming and moving so forward? So the, uh, the next step will be coming out of the two executive agents that drive this, both the ODNI and the uh, director of uh, OPM, uh, to come up with the formal structure that will be Trusted Workforce 2.0 and, and give us that complete latitude to build the, the uh, system around the, those those milestones. Charlie Phelan, thanks for coming on. It's great to have you as always. Okay, thank you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you can get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.